soon. He is an unstoppable killing machine. What the hell is going on? Jason Voorhees! Guys, it's okay, he just wanted his machete back! Uh-oh. He's been modified. Come on, you think? You guys might want to run. Jason X. I don't think he's out there. Why don't you stick your head out and have a peek? Rated R, coming soon. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Pod and the Pendulum, the horror movie podcast that is breaking down every single horror movie franchise, one movie in one episode at a time. I'm your host, Mike Snoonian, joined once again by my co-host, Jerry Smith. Jerry, how are we feeling today? I am so excited for this. Like how you guys felt about Jason Goes to Hell last week is how I feel about Jason X. So I'm I'm ready. I'm ready. Yeah, I mean, the Jason Goes to Hell episode was pretty interesting. It was um, <laughs> it's been really well received. Like it actually was the most downloaded movie that we've had so far uh, for the first day. See, that's um, I I was really like caught off guard by that because i walked away from that saying like man i was just way too negative like i i was bummed about it for like almost the whole week i don't think so i think you came i think you were tough but fair is how i would put it All and right. i think that the rest of i think we had two really good guests with jason oh, uh, yeah. and also i think like vanderbilt could be like a professional podcast guest oh, and i'm like great. picturing like a love show like a love boat style show where you have like special guests and him <laughs> pointing to a camera but that's a fantasy that we won't get into right now we have a <laughs> another guest right now we have dread central's very own jonathan barkin jonathan how are we doing today i'm doing great how are you two gentlemen doing i hope everything is going well it's going well over here thank you so much for joining us we know that oh no thank you for having me it's a pleasure to be here always crazy over at dread you guys have so much going on so thank you for carving some time out you no, know it's my pleasure i i i carved it out jason style so (laughs) it's gonna be this kind of night fantastic i apologize in advance it's gonna be an aj bowen night again oh it's a no nothing will be like that that would be beautiful stream of consciousness like absolutely poetic jim carroll style ranting for an hour and a half and you know and stupid me forgets to record a good third of it um oh man so what I love to know, Jonathan, we ask all of our guests is what is it about what is it about the Friday the thirteenth movie franchise that drew you in, but also Jason X in particular? So I mean, obviously as a horror fan, the Friday the thirteenth franchise is a cornerstone of my uh, my growth into this genre. Um, there's something just so exciting and entertaining about watching Jason you know, do what he does so very well. Um, That being said, I always felt like the films, I don't know, they just, they, they, it became essentially the same thing Mm -hmm. over and over. I mean, we, that's the perils of any sort of franchise or cinematic universe is that we start seeing the same beats over and over. And when it came to Friday the 13th, they weren't exempt. Um, and Jason X, in a way, is is not innocent of these crimes. But what I love about this film is that it's so unabashedly moronic and so openly silly and fun that I just can't help but smile and laugh every time I watch it. I mean, the amount of 
tongue-in-cheek winking that goes on is it's unbelievable absolutely i can't agree more i think that in unlike movies that maybe look down there are filmmakers that should they would look down their nose on this material um it never feels like the material is being looked down upon it feels like everyone is kind of in on the joke and there's a reverence for the characters that we'll get into later on um and everyone has a good time with it yeah absolutely so this movie, Jason X, kind of came to be by accident. Um, Sean Cunningham had gotten his hands back on the franchise as one of the producers. And he you know, did it, as he's very upfront to saying, solely because he knew there was money to be made with Freddy versus Jason. Ten years pass almost from the time that Freddy versus Jason is kind of greenlit and nothing is done. Pitch after pitch is made. Writers are coming and going. Um, and Mike DeLuca over at New Line, who's kind of trying to bring the movie to fruition, and Sean Cunningham can't get on the same page. If one person likes one pitch, the other person hates it. And they just can't find any sort of middle ground. Like, they're really overthinking the thing. Cunningham gets fed up. And he basically says, if you don't make Freddy versus Jason by X date... We're going to make another Jason movie just so people re- actually remember the character. And he draws – it's basically the most suburban dad move of all time where a suburban well, dad that... might say, if you don't knock it off, I'm turning this car around. <laughs> Cunningham is like, if you don't make a movie, I am going to spend $15 million and make one of my own. Yeah, it's because he was losing money at this point. I mean uh, Cunningham started Crystal Lake Entertainment basically just to – get in pre-production with Freddy versus Jason, you know, and it's, it's kind of a negative pickup still, you know, new line, new line didn't really want to green light it until they felt they had something special. So, I mean, Cunningham and his, you know, his son, Noel, Todd Farmer, all these people were basically planning these different ideas about what the films would be because they're losing money every day on Freddy versus Jason. So Cunningham needed something to be done. So, I mean, I, I think, his heart was in the right place, you know, like he needed to keep the lights on, so to speak, because I mean, it's all out of pocket. So why not make another movie to hold the fans over to and see if there's still, you know, some uh, good fan base for the series. Yeah, absolutely. And the original idea when James Isaac, who ended up directing the movie was pitched it. He said, do you want to pick up this franchise? He had the idea that I think a lot of us would really like, and one that has been kind of bandied about after the remake in 2009, where he was like, why don't we set it during the winter? Let's have it at Camp Crystal Lake. We'll set it during the winter time when no one is around. It's been deserted for years, and we'll have Jason in the snow. And he wanted to make the movie scary again, but that idea was thrown aside and do we know why that was thrown aside uh, it enlighten w- us yeah they, they wanted to keep make sure that whatever they came out with for freddy versus jason didn't have any continuity problems well i mean it's a good idea to, my mind it's it's good to be like you know what let's make it so out there that you know when we do freddy versus jason it won't step on any feet you know i i understand that but at the same time i mean knowing some of the other ideas they had I mean, they even considered having, like, Jason against NASCAR. (laughs) I I have never heard that. Please. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's in Crystal Lake Lake Memories. It's on multiple things. Like, they thought about having him in the hood, the snow, the Arctic, fighting street gangs. And they even said that they had an idea involving 
the NASCAR circuit. I mean, <laughs> what? what? I, feel, I feel like I feel like Blake Rigel would that would be his dream movie right now is just Jason against NASCAR. What would they have done? Like, please, I, I need to know more about this now. Oh, I don't know any more details, but can you imagine that shit? Like Dell Earnhardt? Well, maybe not. But uh, <laughs> well, that, that was <laughs> man, that was not thought out. Sorry, you could edit that out. But no, uh, that's the only is, is it Jason or is it Dale? <laughs> right, it might be Dale Earnhardt coming back and killing people this time around. But no, Jason. <laughs> shit, that was not thought out. But you get the idea. So I just think that, like, by this point, the continuity issue has kind of sailed like both of the well, series i mean but here's the thing it, it, in a way i can i can appreciate where they're coming from if you make a genuinely frightening friday the 13th film then you sort of have an expectation that freddy versus jason is going to be frightening as well however the very nature of the title immediately suggests that we're not going to have something frightening i mean when you have something like freddy versus jason it's simply going to be entertaining this is an mma fight this is a boxing mm -hmm. match uh and the thing is we've seen it before with uh you know the timing on this i'm not exactly 100 percent sure uh which came first but there was alien versus predator and we've seen that there were scary films before yes alien resurrection was not exactly the most frightening entry in the franchise but after alien versus predator they went back to trying to do something very serious and very scary with prometheus and alien covenant again those were many 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 years later mm -hmm. but the idea that having scary individual films precludes a versus title from being just genuinely fun is exactly why it seems like there's a big there was such a big issue in getting the film even made. Like you have to be ready to let certain things go for the betterment of the grand design. And mm -hmm. that's ultimately what Freddy versus Jason did. Is it a flawless movie? No, not under any circumstances, but you better believe when I saw it in theaters, I was hooting and hollering. I was having a great time because right. it knew what it should have been. Same thing with Jason X. Well, that oh. and I mean, when it comes to Jason X, like I that's this is my issue with with anyone that just talking shit on it is like after Jason takes Manhattan and Jason goes to hell. Are you really that offended that Jason's in space? Like he went from like going to Vancouver and turning into a kid because of toxic sludge to being a worm that is brought back to life through his sister's vagina to go into and outer space. Like I don't really mind outer space at this point. Can, can we just quickly take one moment to appreciate in Jason Takes Manhattan uh, when the toxic sludge is coming down the tunnel towards him and his mask has been kicked off and he looks absolutely ridiculous mm -hmm. <laughs> and he looks at the incoming wave, this torrential flood of toxic sludge. I know where this is going. He, he starts vomiting, but <laughs> his head doesn't move. And it is without a doubt one of the funniest moments in horror history, because all he does is head perfectly still, just blah. blah. He also, <laughs> it's he like a bobblehead. He also squeaks when he sees it coming down. Like it's the first noise he ever makes, and he has this like little baby voice. Yeah. Anyone who sits there and complains that Jason X is too funny or it's too comical, like they must have not seen 
Jason takes Manhattan because he punches a guy's head off in one swipe. He vomits because he sees an incoming wave of toxic sludge. As you say, he squeaks. He turns into a little kid. It's an absurd movie. It's yes. not scary. It's very. Well, I mean, fun. you have you have he gang just... members shooting up the main protagonist with heroin. I mean, yeah, like, <laughs> I will. The series had gone off the rails by now. Like yeah. Jason X is a welcome, refreshing change. Yeah, he lifts up his mask to a gang of like street punks, and you know just walks off at that point, which is like, one of the funnier moments overall. Like, see, yeah, and that we're doing. That's oh, sorry. such a that's such a non typical jason move jason isn't interested in doing that he just wants to kill people Mm -hmm. but to sit there and go hey i'm really disgusting and you should know that that's so not you know characteristic of him but in the context of that film it works and i think that's what people need to recognize is that certain things work in certain situations well, that and that moment in Jason Takes Manhattan, and I'm I'm not going to take too much time on Jason Takes Manhattan because that's two movies ago. But <laughs> I mean, as someone who grew up adoring punk rock, like that is the moment in Jason Takes Manhattan where I cheer because I'm sorry, but if you're a hardcore punk rocker blasting fucking hip hop, kick that fucking boombox. Right. I want some. Cro- <laughs> I want to hear Cro-Mags. I know? think we just said last time, like the fact that they weren't playing stuff from like Revelation Records circa this time <laughs> period. Like, if you could have had "Break Down the Walls" by Youth of Today playing on that boombox, like oh, that would have been fucking awesome. Youth Brigade, uh, Gorilla Biscuits, Cro-Mags, give me oh, something. Give me that. Give me all that old straight edge New York hardcore in that scene. Um, so Jason X, <laughs> I do like the way they get him into space. I think it kind of makes sense for what they want to do. Uh, Todd Farmer, who wrote this movie, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's also behind, um, the My Bloody Valentine reboot yep. uh, or remake yep. and also drive angry he's got an interesting story like he's been pretty upfront of saying when he was trying to make it as a filmmaker he spent a lot of time living in his car um oh yeah yeah that that article he wrote was just mm-hmm. i mean eye-opening uh but i mean i todd had a really interesting kind of pitch on jason x walking into it i mean mm-hmm. even the film that we ended up getting is very different i mean the the film was being rewritten without farmer basically went to shooting Um, a lot of the humor uh you know his original script a lot of the humor came from the situations not the characters themselves Mm -hmm. whereas by the time the movie comes out i mean it had been rewritten so just dramatically that i mean todd todd's the only person i think credited as the writer but i mean uh, there was like kind of a butting of heads when it came to differences of opinion between farmer and sean cunningham yeah, he's definitely on the record of saying he's not very happy with um, the end product and how much his movie was changed overall. Uh, well, because, be. yeah, he's just like disappointed with how much his work was changed from um, script to where it got on screen. And not that that doesn't happen all the time, but it was so much so that he said the movie was almost recognizable at points. Well, that and I, a lot of the reason that I don't really care for Chasing Goes to Hell, I like jason x uh jason goes to hell in my opinion is a mess that nobody was trying like it, it, like they knew exactly what they were making whereas mm-hmm. jason jason x you have two or three different people whereas you know jim isaac t- 
Todd Farmer, Noel Cunningham, Sean Cunningham. That's four people all mm-hmm. wanting different things. And you kind of have that kind of dilemma where there are so many cooks in the kitchen mm-hmm. that, I mean, you're, you're lucky that a movie gets released, com- mm-hmm. you know, completed. Uh, I, I love the end product, but man, I would have loved to see that more kind of aliens meets Jason approach that Todd Farmer mm-hmm. wanted to get. Yeah, and Cunningham still doesn't like the character of Jason at this point, so he's still trying to fight. He still is like, I don't think any of these other movies are any good. So it's kind of a weird approach to take when you're the kind of creator of the series, and then went out of your way to get your hands back on it again. Well, that that and another thing I just love about Jason X, and I love this awful little kind of thing that a lot of these futuristic movies have. I love that it starts out in what 2008, mm-hmm. <laughs> like the, the future of 2008. Uh, it's it's my favorite thing ever to go back and look at all these ones, like you know Demolition Man starting out in the future of 1996, mm-hmm. or you know Blade Runner 2019. Like I, I just I rewatched Jason X this week, and I, I loved the 2008ness of the beginning. Yeah. Because I remember 2008, it was definitely not like that. It was not this, no. So, <laughs> well, it's it's this. That's always the danger when you have a movie that dates itself. It reminds me of Hackers, when in at one point they were gawking over a laptop, and they were saying things like, you know, 512k RAM, a 28.8 kbps modem, smoking. Yeah, you're like, oh, this is this is just not gonna age well. Well, that or like uh, Jurassic Park. Yeah, exactly. All the little little girl, the little girl. I'm a hacker because she knows what a fucking CD-ROM is. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Or uh, like in Jason X, at one point, uh, you know. Do you guys know what that is? It's some kind of a facial covering. It's a hockey mask. Yes, a sport that was outlawed in 2024. And I'm sitting here going, nope. Right? No, just, it's, just, it's, why even throw that in there? It's I, wildly unnecessary. I, I love that, though. I love just looking back and being like, really? That's the date you guys wanted to go with? 2008? You couldn't have, like, skipped along 20 years, you know? Well, it has that same kind of fun as like growing up as a kid and watching the old Warner Brothers, like Tex Avery cartoons. So like the home of the future is going to look like this. And none of these things have come to pass uh, in the 50 years since the um, cartoons have come out. And it is like they're really fun and antiquated. It's kind of like that in how it dates itself. But you've you've forgotten one thing. None of the homes of today, you know, no home looks like that yet yet right no like it's it's just funny that like the the two dates you know i think it's it's either 2008 or 2010 i mean i could be wrong but the second date when it skips along all those years i mean it's like 2455 like couldn't they have like moved it past just a little bit closer to 2455 they could have. Um, I think, but then they wouldn't have the world slash universe building that they had worked so so very hard on, such as Earth Two and a dead Earth and a random space station named Solaris and you know weapons that are clearly super powerful, but not really all that mm-hmm. different from what we have. I I just I love it because out of every movie I think in the series, Jason X has the the most to latch onto and the most to just despise at the same time, mm-hmm. and I think that's where the charm comes in. I mean, Uber Jason is one of the coolest fucking things ever. Mm-hmm. Like, and I I think that's why my son loves this movie so much is because as a kid, I mean, I can't even imagine what I would have 
thought if Jason X came out when I was 10 years old, you know, seeing that huge hulking Jason. And then idea came from like an earlier script that uh, one of the many pitches for Freddy versus Jason. Uh, if, if I remember correctly, uh, or if I read correctly, uh, one of those scripts, kind of the failed pitches on Freddy versus Jason, had Jason going into a, uh, I believe, sporting goods store and seeing a chrome hockey mask and switching masks to the chrome one, which kind of gave them the idea in Jason X to kind of mm-hmm. go to that chrome route. And I, I think I think it's just, I mean, man, it's so cool looking when he when he gets that kind of upgrade. I think so, too. What, what do you think of the idea of Jason being used as a weapon? Because that's how the movie pretty much starts. Like, he's in this government facility, is he not? And they want to use him yes. or, like, lure him in. And so yes. what do we so, think of this idea? Before, before we jump into that, I want to talk about that facility. Because mm-hmm. that facility is fascinating to mm-hmm. me. It's, it's clearly it, – they even say it's like Crystal Lake Research Center – it is a giant place, but it's supposedly at Crystal Lake. And that makes me wonder, is that playing into some kind of a new bit of lore where this place has been around for quite a while? Why do they have such a huge facility for one person, for Jason? Mm-hmm. Like, is there are there other things that are happening here? It's It's one of those little throwaways that they don't talk about that they don't acknowledge that nothing is going on there but it makes you immediately wonder why is this place here what's the idea that i mean they said it in the future so you know so there wouldn't be anything to collide with freddy versus jason but it kind of leads you like you said to kind of wonder you know what's going on and if it is set that far in the future like man the possibilities would have been endless to fill in the blanks of all these different adventures or misadventures that Jason mm-hmm. could have went through. I would have loved to see more of that. It it almost it reminded me like that building reminded me a lot of I don't know if you guys have watched Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh but yes, definitely. Season 4 they have the initiative which mm-hmm. a lot of people don't like season yep. 4. It might be my favorite season. Um, and I know they were limited by the budget and what they could do with the scope overall, but this facility, like having a facility that houses all these monsters that you're trying to retrain for government purposes, to me, there are some amazing stories that can be told in that kind of setting. Well, it kind of goes to the the character of Bub from Day of the Dead, mm-hmm. kind of like trying to condition these monsters or these creatures into seeing you know, what they could use them mm-hmm. for. You know, and and that's kind of the same approach, kind of weaponizing zombies. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, this one is kind of weaponizing Jason. I well, mean, that's if the thing; could... they weren't they weren't really weaponizing him, though. That was the big takeaway: was that they were fascinated by his regenerate regenerative yes, abilities. Right. Mm-hmm. It was all about his ability to heal at an unprecedented rate. So, what they wanted to do was to study that probably for some kind of pharmaceutical reason. And so the actual intent is not to weaponize, but to heal, weirdly enough. To Thank use you. someone like Jason Voorhees, this mass murderer of, as they say, nearly 200 people, to be the foundation of a new era of health and growth, which I think on its own is a really, really fascinating concept. Mm-hmm. But even more interesting is also that David Cronenberg was saying, uh, you know, the the um, the main character, uh, I can't remember her name, even though I watched the movie 
just a couple of hours ago, which probably says a lot about the characters of the film. But anyways, um, <laughs> uh, she even warns him, like, if you do this, there is a significant risk that he will escape and more people will die. Is that worth it? To which David Cronenberg says, yes, absolutely. And it's a very Vulcan mentality. The needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. So if a few eggs are broken, you're still going to get an omelet that will feed and nourish a great amount of people. See, no, I think that's noble, and I love that about it. But at the same time, I think the concerns that the character of, uh, I think her name was Rowan, right? You are correct. That, yep. that, that yes. had about it. I think that those concerns and even the medical kind of uh, intentions that David Cronenberg's character had, I think would have been eventually overstepped. I mean, you have Sergeant Marcus. You have all these soldiers. You have a lot of weapons in the film. I, I feel like while the the kind of like, origin of trying to keep jason to regenerate you know for different medical things i think that's that's noble but at the same time like we've seen so many times in our own past i mean how often does you know the military get involved and turn it into something you know with their intentions well i have to ask too let's say that they were able to break down the properties that allow jason to regenerate and bottle that up and sell it over the counter by prescription do -hmm. you think that did their means seem like they were going for a humanitarian purpose where this would be widely made available to prolong the lives of everybody? Or do you think that it would be squeezed into the hands I of the upper? Think, I think the, uh, what's his, like, farmer bro or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. the, the dude. Martin the dude Shkreli. Bought, yeah, the dude that bought the Wu-Tang album. I feel like that piece of shit would be the one that would get his yeah. hands on it. You know, charge, no, like, thousands absolutely. and thousands no matter, of it. No matter which way you look at it, like, the intention is... Clearly that they want the regenerative capabilities of Jason Voorhees. Now, the fact that there is military involvement suggests one of two things. One, it's either going to be applied to the elite of society for an astronomical amount of money. uh, Or two, it's meant to create super soldiers, which in and of itself could have been a very interesting path to go down. Let's say they do manage to figure out what Jason, what makes him tick and they apply it to other people. And yeah, some of them are able to fight him off. It suddenly becomes almost like predator or the hunt. You have one going after the many and seeing who can make it, who is superior. There were a lot of ways that they could have taken this, but ultimately, um, I think by taking away something that makes Jason so special, then you effectively make him less of an interesting character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, that and I mean, I I agree with that. uh, And yeah, I agree with that. That's all I have with that one. I love it. I, I, I had something in my head, but I, I got a blank right now. Go for it. I, I think it's okay. Too. You can agree with me. I, I'm not going to complain at all. <laughs> Sam, Jerry, stop being so agreeable. You I know. No, but but another another part of this movie that just really I, that I just love is they do kind of what Jason Goes to Hell did, but I think they do it in a good way. Jason Goes to Hell had this thing like, this is what you expect from Jason, and we're going to blow his ass up 10 minutes into it. You know, you get this movie where it's like, you know, Jason comes after people, and then what do they do? They don't blow him up and turn him into a worm. No, he gets pretty much frozen. And I also think it's such a good touch that the main protagonist of the film gets frozen as well. So it's kind of like, 
it's not just Jason kind of like a fish out of water when he's all, like, you know, brought back 400 plus years later. You also get the film's protagonist kind of being a fish out of water too. And it kind of has that, like, I I'm, might be the only person that like associates the two, but it kind of has that demolition man feel to it where it has both these people kind of in a place where they don't recognize in a time that they don't recognize having to come to terms with being in the future, but also having to be after each other at the same time. Mm-hmm. But while but while Demolition Man explored that, Jason X glossed over it. Jason doesn't oh, yeah. care what time frame he's in or where he's at. As we've seen in other films, you put him anywhere and he will kill. He does not give a damn at all. That's why he picked up the super shiny surgical machete and just kept doing what he's great at doing because it doesn't matter to him. And as for Rowan, there was some like, oh my God, you've been asleep for almost, you know, four and a half centuries. That's terrible. And she's like, wow, things are crazy. I'm not going to ask a single question about (laughs) what has happened in four and a half centuries. Earth one is dead. Okay. I'm just going to blindly accept that we're in a spaceship cool no questions like there's nothing to suggest that she even cares so no one really is a fish out of water and if anything rowan wakes up 450 plus years later and it's the same thing she warns the man in charge who has the military don't do this and hey cronenberg doesn't listen four and a half centuries later she warns the man in charge with the military don't do this and he does it again. Both are pers- are fueled and driven by greed, and both die as a result. Nothing has changed for her. So whether she's on a spaceship or on the ground, it makes no difference whatsoever. Well, I think, too, this plays into uh, Jason X follows a lot of the beats of uh, Ridley Scott's Alien, mm-hmm. with Rowan being your Ripley character here, where, like uh, the character of Ash, played by Ian Holm, you have this professor, uh, Lowe, who sees Jason and he sees dollar signs at that point once he knows who he is. Uh, he's like, he decides that he would rather protect Jason um, at the expense of his crew at that point. And that obviously leads to some, you know, a lot of death and mayhem, basically. Isn't there always some asshole in these movies that does that? It's like, no, we have this really awful thing on board, but, you know, let's let's focus on that. You know, mm-hmm. and there's there's always has to be one. But I, I think are Jonathan you are you genuinely suggesting that horror has a problem with stereotypical <laughs> asshole? Right. Where oh. do you get off saying such a slanderous thing? No, that's I've I, I've obviously there, read comments. No, uh. <laughs> there was a there was a series of short films, um, probably four or five years. I want to say it was called. Hell no, whereas basically <laughs> these Hell characters no. who would get into like typical horror movie situations and then act sensibly, and the movie would be over in like 13 seconds of oh, that. that there was like great. a half dozen situations where, you know, and I think, you know, you really can't have it would be interesting to see like a movie or series of films where characters act mostly sensibly and make mostly the right decisions, but still find themselves unable to kind of get themselves out of it. Like the junior detectives bite off more than they could chew and get killed right, right away. Right. 
Right. Or they, you know, <laughs> rather than bite off more than they chew, like they alert the proper authorities, but the authorities are wiped out Halloween four style, like the police sensation is wiped out. So there's you know, some like, interesting things you could do there. See, when when Jonathan was talking about how uh, Rowan doesn't really ask any of the important questions when she woke up all these centuries later, like it, it I think that is such a disservice to the character because I don't know about you guys, but if I woke up 400 years from now, I'd ask very important questions. Is Eli Roth still making movies? Is Sugar Ray still playing on cruises and did say anything break up yet? These are the things that they should have asked because if the film took place in 2010, these are the questions we all wanted to know. At the very least, at the very least, you'd expect her to pull a Lilu from the Fifth Element and just watch <laughs> recaps of history. Right? Like, she would go to Netflix and be like, I need a recap of centuries 2000 to, like, the 21st, the 22nd, 23rd, 24th centuries. Give me that, and then I'll actually start reading about the 25th century up until now. But nothing. She's like, wait, who was president again? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a complete... <laughs> That's the thing. In a film that builds really interesting lore, it clearly doesn't care about the world it's set in. Now, do you think that that might have been because of having three or four people kind of have their own idea of where they wanted to go and the script kind of getting rewritten so much as they kept shooting? Absolutely. I mean, I mean there's a lot There's a lot from what I was reading with about Todd Farmer. There's a lot that, I mean, they kind of just cut out even character development i mean whole subplots characters relationships i mean it seems like the movie was just redone and redone and redone when it comes to writing i mean a lot of the people were getting like their scenes the day of filming i mean i could understand i could only you know what i mean like i could see how a film could get that kind of just messy yeah i i genuinely believe that jason x can be compared to alien versus predator in a very specific way in that both feel like popcorn movies. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that you want to make popcorn. I mean that the pacing feels like microwave popcorn. Like you just throw it in, it's done in a couple minutes. In Alien vs. Predator, there were people that were uh, that were latched onto by face huggers. The face huggers fell off and then the aliens burst out of their chest and it was all done within the span of a couple of hours at most, whereas in the original film, it was a much longer period. They really played out the pacing of that, so you felt it. Uh, but that was gone in AVP. And the same thing in Jason X. The movie is moving at breakneck speed. There is no scene that feels wasted, but there's also no scene that feels like it just takes a moment to sit in the story. Mm-hmm. Well, it feels like when you're 10 movies in, it's very difficult to surprise anyone anymore. Like, the very few people, and I'm not saying nobody, because Jason X, for some people, is going to be their first experience seeing, like, a Friday the 13th movie. But by and large, like, no one is going to be surprised by what they're going to see. So it's almost like, okay, we're going to trim all of what they would call the fat, even though that's sometimes where the best parts of the story live. Like, um, Jerry, you're fond of talking about the final chapter and how much time is spent on the characters in that movie. And the movie mm-hmm. is much better for it because you get to know Teddy and um, everybody else, the twins and everyone else. And, you know, here it's kind of like 
this is just everybody in this movie exists to be either cannon fodder or an instantly recognizable stereotype. Well, most most definitely. And uh, I kind of look at Jason X like this. Uh, when it comes to a quintessential Friday the 13th film, I go to Final Chapter because I think that is the best example of that series, you know, at its peak. Same with Nightmare on Elm Street. I mean, a lot of people give me shit, but I go to the Dream Master for that. That is exactly what I expect from a Nightmare on Elm Street movie. When it comes to a Friday the 13th film, is Jason X a good sequel? Hell no, it isn't. Just like, I mean, I adore Halloween 4 and 5 with a passion. I mean, two of my favorite movies of all time. Are they a good sequel to John Carpenter's Halloween? Hell no. But they're good movies on their own. And that's what I feel about Jason X. I don't think it's a good Friday the 13th sequel. I just think it's a super entertaining movie on its own. Mm-hmm. Like, if it was a standalone film, I feel like it would have such a, a a bigger fan base than it does. I can see that. I can absolutely see that. I mean, can you imagine if it was called something else and, it, you know, we hadn't seen Jason and we had this character, you know, this kind of weird character in a hockey mask at the beginning, gets frozen, comes back this huge, you know, uber Jason. Like, that would be... You know what I mean? Because nobody would hold it up to what came before it. And while I'm able to, and you guys are able to see it for what it is, a lot of people, even though we had seen Jason Goes to Hell way off the rails and Jason Takes Manhattan way off the rails, people still hold Jason X to this huge standard of the first six or seven films, you know? I would agree with that. And I think it's the setting. I think really what it is, as soon as you add the words in space to it, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of potential audience members felt like their intelligence was about to be insulted, even though I think that this movie is made by people that genuinely love the character, love these movies, and have a lot of fun with the concept. I could see a lot of people going into it being like, nope, you're just you're treating me like a dumb fan at this point. Well- I could understand people feeling that way if it had followed one of the earlier films as a straight sequel, you know, like at the end of, you know, part three, Jason's in the barn and then he goes to space. I can understand that. (laughs) Like I can understand being pissed about that, but for the 10th film and them saying, you know what, this is decades and centuries in the future. So much could have happened that led him here. Like, how could you not be on board with that? Like, it's not insulting it at all. It's it's fucking 400, 500 years after the events of the old movies. Like, you know, who cares? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's tough. And I think it's tough because I think as fans of, like, horror movies and genre films, we're always asking for something new. We're always – we always look for something that's going to knock us on our ass as a horror fan. Oh, we shit. A- Mike. Mike, this might knock you on your ass. I think I solved our our uh, Jason. I think I solved our Friday Thirteenth Part Two dilemma. Maybe yeah. this is how Jason got to Alice's house. Maybe it wasn't a taxi. <laughs> Maybe he was teleported from the future. Oh. Damn. Maybe Damn. Yeah, this is it. This is exactly it. They're <laughs> they're not on Earth from two <laughs> onwards. They're on Earth to Earth two, <laughs> and Jason made it through the atmosphere all of his uber jason armor just shredding and when he landed in the lake boom he was old jason ready to go and do what he needs to do maybe this is like the multiverse 
This is the multiverse. Jake Gyllenhaal was right. Jason X is a sequel to Far From Home. It's the Donnie Darko entry of the Friday. Right. <laughs> <laughs> That's what's going on. Our listeners hate us so much right now. You know, we keep saying that and they keep coming back. I know. So yay to low standards, everybody. Fantastic. Okay. Let's talk about the deaths. Because, yes, thank you. I mean, this movie, like it or despise it, it has one of the coolest fucking deaths in the entire series, and that is Adrian's. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there, there's something so cool. And like I said, if this came out when I was 10, this would probably be my favorite death. But there's something so cool about Jason taking someone's face, putting it in liquid nitrogen, and then slamming it on a counter. I mean, who hasn't done that or wanted to do that? So, um, one, I've never done that. <laughs> I may or may not have wanted to do it. Three, I saw a Mythbusters episode specifically about Damn that it. kill, and it cannot be done. Damn. So what do they come up with? Please enlighten us. Uh, you mean what's the outcome? What, are they, was the, what would the outcome actually be? The outcome is basically that you can stick something into liquid nitrogen for a while, and then when you slam it, it's just going to kind of crack and, like, break a little bit apart, but it's not going to shatter like a glass falling off the table mm-hmm. dude you just ruined my life man i didn't ruin anything because that is the wonder <laughs> of movie magic right what's and next and tell me that if someone's killed in a in a basement like rob in part four he's not gonna scream i mean i'm not <laughs> not gonna say that i know so, while you're at it um jonathan i'm gonna yes. go gather some young neighborhood children around the ages of four and five <laughs> I would okay. like you to explain okay. to them about Santa Claus and the Easter Bunny. Right. <laughs> so this is going to be great because I'm Jewish, therefore I don't give a shit about ruining your childhood. <laughs> oh, man. And people right. wonder why Trump got elected. <laughs> <laughs> I got elected. I actually read a thing this week. Um do you the want me movie? to gather those four and five year old neighborhood children? It's it's because he believed in like <laughs> liquid nitrogen deaths. Why would you do the gather? You know what? We're gonna move on. We're gonna edit yeah. this other <laughs> I completely lost track of thought at this point. Uh, um, no, but uh, coming back to Adrian's kill, uh, I know that everyone says it's one of the coolest, pun intended, uh, deaths in the Friday the Thirteenth franchise. I argue that it is actually the best. Mm-hmm. kill in the friday the 13th franchise because it is everything that i could want from a jason kill he moves like a determined pissed off predator he grabs her and manhandles her throughout the lab he jams her face in and without a second thought when he picks up he looks at it and you can tell he's like Hmm, I know exactly what I'm going to do with this. He slams it down, looks up, and then throws it to the side. It's a piece of meat. It's done. It's gruesome. It's gory. It's shocking. It's hilarious. It's fantastic. I love it. I genuinely think it is the number one kill in the entire Friday the 13th franchise. You know, in every episode, Mike and I talk about kind of what kind of person Jason is. You know, Mike had this thing where uh, in previous installments, Jason is that pissed off dad, you know, that doesn't really want to do something, but he knows he's going to get bitched out if he doesn't. And in Jason X, he reminds me of kind of like that dude that's just he's he's kind of like the Danny Glover of the Lethal Weapon movies, kind of like 
And Jason X, he wakes up and he's like, really? Am I really doing this again? Do I have to do this again? So, like, everything he does is even more pissed off than it was. Like, he, he reminds me of Biocop. I don't know if you guys saw that that trailer, the Astron 6 one. You know, that that kind of, like, why am I alive kind of thing. Jason is it, Biocop? And Jason, is it uh, or is it Man? No, it was it's on Manborg, but it's the fake trailer for Biocop. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. okay, okay. Yeah, yep. and he has this thing where he's just so pissed off that he can't die and that he's still around that it makes him that much angrier. And and that's 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 what it feels like in this movie. Like, the deaths... I mean, Kane Hodder... It, it sucks that this was his last go-around as Jason. But if there's... Between Part 7 and this one, like, they kind of rival each other with having the most pissed-off Kane as Jason. Right. There's just tremendous physicality to what Hodder brings to the role in his movements and his body language. Like he totally understands how to tell a story just through body language, because that really is about 93% of all communication is done through body language. And he just tells such a great story through the way he moves, through the way he acts. And like I said, he is that pissed off suburban dad, like, all right, these kids are never going to learn their fucking lessons. So here we go again. And that's well, that that and Kane is able to be Jason again. I mean, I, I hate to always spend time just like trashing Jason goes to hell. But I mean, Kane, I mean, you know, that most of that movie is other people playing their versions of Jason. Sure. I mean, and like mm -hmm. we talked about this last episode, I mean, you know, Kane tried to give some normalcy to every person playing Jason, you know, giving them pointers and people like Stephen Culp would just throw it in his face, basically calling him a stuntman, mm -hmm. disregarding everything that Kane would advise him with. It feels like Jason X is finally Kane's time to be Jason again. You know, th this is very much a Jason movie instead of mm -hmm. a body switching movie. Absolutely. It is. It is a, you know, even though Jason changes in this movie, which we'll get to in a little bit, um, it's still, even when he's uber Jason, he is recognizable as Jason. Like the only thing that changes is his physical appearance, but everything else about the character remains at that point. Another kill I really like, just because the humor of it, is Lowe's kill, um, where he is cornered by Jason in the ship's control room and tries to bargain with him. He basically makes his capitalist pitch to Jason. And, you know, obviously, like Jonathan, you had said before, Jason wants none of this. Uh, and when he picks up that machete, Lowe is like, oh, this like giant hulking mass murderer with about 250 deaths under his belt? Oh, he just wanted his machete. No big deal. I guess I'm perfectly safe now. Like that to me is it's really played well for laughs. Um, and I, I really do enjoy that like couple moments of the film overall. I always think of Die Hard when that scene comes up. Uh, what What is that character's name? Is it Ellis or something like that? Mm -hmm. You know, the guy that the guy that yeah. tries to like the, the guy kind of cocky guy who, who seems to think that he could reason with. Uh, yes with uh you know alan rickman in die hard mm -hmm. every single time i see jason x in that low scene i always think of that i always love just just because you brought up die hard i always love that when bruce willis meets ellis he's still got cocaine on his nose <laughs> and then he's hanging out with uh alan rickman with hans gruber you can tell that he asked for some coke but they didn't understand, and they brought him an actual bottle of Coca-Cola, and he's just like, okay, I guess I'll just accept it. <laughs> I've never realized that. That's funny. Wow. Uh, no, another kill that I love in, uh, in Jason X, and I think it's the perfect example 
of what Jason X is as a whole is I think there was someone named Condor or something like that. He was a sniper in the scene where the grunts are all in a room that basically feels like something out of Metal Gear Solid and Jason is Snake. Like they're going between shipping containers and random thin hallways and Jason is picking them off one by one in pure stealth mode. Like Mm -hmm. he's actually genuinely trying to keep things quiet. Um, And he knocks the sniper off of the ledge and the guy lands on a gigantic drill bit or screw or whatever you want to call it. And then his body starts turning and following the threads. And then later on, uh, Gronsky's like, you know, where, you know, where is he? And one of the soldiers like, I found Condor. Well, what's his status? <sighs> He's screwed. And then it shows <laughs> a screw, right? It, it just like, there he is. He's been screwed. Like literally. And <laughs> that right there, that cheesiness, that camp is, it is what Jason X is all about. And anyone who tries to take the movie seriously when a scene like that takes place is completely missing the point. This is not something that we're meant to find scary or even to be completely honest, good, but it knows what it is. And even with too many cooks in the kitchen, it turned out something really entertaining. You know, like it's very hypocritical of me to say, but the reasons that I love Jason X, I I can totally understand are probably the same reasons that a lot of people love Freddy's dead. Freddy's dead is Freddy's dead very much knows what it is. You know me, I can't get on board with that movie, but like Jason X, that movie doesn't take itself serious and has fun with the idea that it's trying to have fun. A hundred percent with that. I mean, you have, uh, I'm trying to think right here. You have the, you have your professor getting nipple clamped for one in like a really PG 13 sex scene, which is like, it's just this weird out of like nowhere, like bizarre sex scene with the dude getting his like nipples clamped. You've never seen in a Friday movie. You're like, all right, here we go. You have like the virtual reality scene, which, you know, puts his tongue firmly in its cheek uh, when you have these like two beautiful young topless women going like, Hey, we're here in the forest. We're here to like have, you know, like promiscuous sex and smoke a lot of dope uh, in order to like distract Jason from his goal. He's like, Oh, got a couple more to line up. Like you cannot see that and not know what kind of movie you're getting into at this point. I feel like Jason X is an early kind of prototype for, for movies that, uh, were kind of embraced a little uh, more positively, like mm-hmm. the final girls, the final girls, or maybe like a scream or something like that. It knew exactly what kind of movie it was. It mm-hmm. knew the kind of it knew the tropes. It knew the stereotypes, and it had fun with those. Yeah, you know. And I I feel like maybe if it had been released when it should have, when it was shot, or maybe if it had been released maybe further down the road, mm-hmm. it would have it would have been received a lot better than it was. Well, can we talk about the release for this movie, like where it sits in its history and how it was released? Because it sat on the shelf, correct me if I'm wrong. It Almost two come, years. Yeah, it was finished in 2000 and then came out of the United States in 2002, correct? It came out in 2002, but another interesting thing, and, and I, I could be wrong, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but it this is also the first Friday 13th movie that premiered in Spain. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it came out in 2001 in Spain before it came out in, you know, America. Right. Which, which 
you know, Friday the 13th, if, if anything, I mean, it's it's kind of like one of the quintessential American horror films, you know? Was was like, that a wide release or was that a festival premiere? I, I, I'm pretty sure it was a festival because I, okay. I was looking up the dates and it came out in, yeah, November 2001 in Spain. Uh, I'm trying to think there's a festival that I know of because Sitges usually takes place in early October, but yeah, that's weird. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, it's set on a shelf for almost two years because, I mean, the person who kind of greenlit the film was Mike DeLuca, uh, who also wrote Freddy vs. Jason, or not Freddy vs. Jason, Freddy's Dead. But he had already resigned from New Line, you know, and nobody wanted to touch the movie at that point. So you have this film that horror fans really wanted to see that, I mean, by the time that it came out two years later, they had already moved on. You know, it was already a different era of horror. The effects were dated at that point, you know, and and there was it was a completely different shift in horror that I I can understand why it didn't do as well as it could have. Well, we also have to remember that. I mean, the movie was made in 2000, and had they released it then, it probably would have done perfectly fine. But what a lot of people might not recognize is by releasing it in 2002, 9-11 happened. And after after 9-11, film and television radically changed. People, Mm -hmm. for a little while, they didn't want to necessarily see something that was too gruesome or too violent. Admittedly, horror decided to go all in, but that ended up being seen as a means of catharsis. You know, I've seen horrible things on TV. Now I see even more horrible things in the movies. It's a way for me to contextualize it and mm-hmm. kind of get rid of these emotions. But but they were done in a bit more of a serious tone. Like, yeah, Hostel is pretty funny at points and pretty outlandish, but also pretty serious. Through a lot of its runtime. The same thing with Saw. The first Saw is an incredibly serious film that any camp or cheese that is found in it probably comes from the lack of budget or the the kind of the somewhat questionable acting at certain moments. Right. Well, I know the story with itself Saw is unrelentingly grim, and yeah, and mm-hmm. Jason X it didn't have that. Jason X was all a joke. It treated right. violence. As this also comes and out, and we didn't want that at the time. And this also comes out once the slasher boon that had been reignited by the release of Scream in 1996. Like, it's a slasher movie's now done. Um, it had about a four, three or four year peak period again, but you now see it kind of dwindle again at this point. Um, and Jason is coming out really two or three years past the peak. Of this kind of movie, so and it's it, also that we saw a lot of those slashers were just churning out sequel after sequel, which, yeah. admittedly, in horror we're used to. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. when you have something like Scream churning out Scream Two and then Scream Three, you've got I know what you did last summer, and then I still know what you did last summer, mm-hmm. and you have these films that feel like they're just kind of cookie cutter versions of the same thing. Then throwing out Jason X is unfortunately going to feel like more of the same right well that and and post 9-11 i mean in the years that came a lot of the horror film uh films that came out the more uh kind of explicit ones or the more challenging ones to watch they had something to say and i think that that Mm -hmm. at least speaking for myself those were what really attracted me to those movies especially the french extreme movement those are those those movies all had something very important to say and when jason x it's kind of a i mean to a lot of people who were maybe at the time it came out looking for something with something to say. It's kind of a throwaway Jason movie. Yeah, there, there's nothing to be said 
about Not at all. Jason X. That's actually a very important thing. And that we mentioned everything that they could have taken and really explored and really gone into. For example, the Crystal Lake Research Facility. What is that? And is Jason some sort of a governmental creation? Is that a a, a cheap way to do things? Sure. But if you go about doing it right and in an interesting way, you could have said something. The fact that they wanted to use Jason for pharmaceutical or military purposes, there's a lot to be said there. The idea of people being taken out of their native environment and thrust centuries into an unknown place and time there's a lot that could have been explored there and jason x did none of it there was well, nothing is, of interest there there are the same themes that could have been explored a little more and still kept the same approach i mean deep blue sea it's it's a lot of popcorn fun but at the same time it is also a really good example of the dangers of playing god and you know yeah. that kind of thing whereas jason x it very well could have been the same kind of look at that yeah, you you might have this way to you know help regeneration of cells and and that kind of stuff, but at the same time, at what cost? And to, you know, good. To be fair, though, and I appreciate the idea of exploring these like existential questions of like where would I belong if I were completely unmoored from time. I just wonder like <laughs> how accepting fans would be of very big existential questions like that or questions of ethics in pharmaceutical companies you know although like i think there's a lot of amazing territory that could be mined there keeping in mind that at this point it's been about a decade almost a decade in between friday the 13th movies um with it's the longest gap that you have um to that point in time um how fans have been of a more serious approach like that well, maybe the centered less on Jason. At the same time, who would have thought the 11th Halloween movie would be one of the best looks at PTSD in a survivor? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, like none, of us would expect, none of us would expect that, but at the same time, like, oh, why, why not allow a Friday the 13th movie or a Nightmare on Elm Street movie or any of these movies to explore these deeper, these deeper well, ideas? Well, you kind of had that in Nightmare on Elm Street with Wes Craven's new Nightmare. There was sort of this idea of the, you know, kind of the of generational trauma in a way yeah. of, you know, what what Heather went through as Nancy in the previous films and how that kind of fell upon her son that do you think said, that that's why it didn't resonate with viewers as much new nightmare is because it kind of tried to do those smart ideas in a, in I, a think film new nightmare was, I think new nightmare was a fantastic movie with a shoddy third act that came out at the wrong time i think that's what ultimately hindered the movie because there's i think the first two acts of nightmare of new nightmare are brilliant i think they're fascinating and just so interesting and then i think the third act goes a kind of you know you, you know where it's going but i'm, I'm devolving and getting into new nightmare no I uh, like but this. what i, I like think also is that what what i love is that you brought up the 11th halloween film and how it's a great look at p PTSD in a survivor, but keep in mind the time that we're in and keep in mind what audiences are looking for. And then think about when Jason X came out. Remember that around then, that was when we were getting a Universal Soldier sequel with Bill Goldberg. And <laughs> there were a lot of movies that were very much a product of their time 
that do not age well, that are completely. Well, it's, it's like having it's like having DC Gray in the first Spider Man. Like it, it, it really shows what when that movie came out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, so I I think there's what happened was that the audience at the time was they weren't requesting that kind of a horror film and they didn't want it, even if it was something that would have been given to them, because we can take we can theorize what would happen if Hereditary, the witch, uh, it follows or Halloween, uh, the 2018. What if they were released, you know, in the late 90s or early 2000s? I don't think that they would have had the same kind of reception as they do now. Because they're timely now. Yeah, no, I, I totally I totally get what you're saying, and I agree. And I think, too, like we were talking about why wasn't new, and I don't want to make this a complete new nightmare podcast. For me, the movie doesn't resonate because I think it focuses on the wrong character. I just didn't think Heather Langenkamp was really up to the role overall, and what would have been a more fascinating movie is exploring the impact of playing Freddy Krueger on Robert Englund and how that impacted his career, his psyche, um, because the two are so well entwined where maybe I'm in the minority here, but I don't feel that enmeshment between Nancy and Freddy, despite her being in the first and third movie. I think it would have been a more fascinating, and we'll get into this a week, cover A Nightmare on Elm Street probably this time next year. Um, (laughs) You know, so to but how what sort of impact that that playing that role had on England on his career trajectory on being um, pigeonholed in horrors in you know despite having a really built a really good career out of it um, it did pigeonhole him as an actor and I know that he has at times spoken openly about maybe being a little if not resentful then a little bit wistful about not being able to showcase more of his talents. Yeah. Well, I think that that also th- there's a little bit of a difference when you think about the characters because when you look at someone like Freddy, the way that Freddy was originally written was very dark and very mean yeah. and his humor was sadistic. It wasn't uh kind of charming. And you look at the first and the third film especially, the kills are gruesome and they are meant to evoke terror one of my favorite kills in the nightmare franchise is philip who he turns into a marionette doll using his tendons which Mm. i think was just genius but freddy as a character remember that he he was human he made a deal with the dream demons at least according to freddy's dead and then he became the uh he became freddy krueger that we know and love you know the killer of children in their nightmares and there's still room there with a character that talks and thinks and has made a deal with the devil to start looking into the psyche of such a character with jason there is nothing and that's the problem is that any movie that you want to do that deals with anything interesting about psychology or emotions surrounding the friday the 13th franchise you cannot focus on Jason and it's hard to focus on the people around him because we're so kind of we're, we're just specifically pushed in a way to think that Jason is the hero and anyone he kills is deserving 
And the only person that we kind of have championed outside of Jason is remind me, Corey Feldman's character. Is it Tommy? Tommy Jarvis. Tommy Jarvis. Tommy yeah. Jarvis. Exactly. Tommy Jarvis. That's the only other character that most people in the Friday th- that love Friday the 13th think of as yeah Tommy Jarvis I totally love him he's a hero he's you know so important to Friday the 13th but they did explore him and I've, in some ways it worked and in some ways it yeah. didn't I think there's still a lot of affection and respect for both Ginny in part two and Alice in part one I do agree with your point it is difficult when you have like a silent stalking killer that just comes in and out of the screen to maybe explore the inner workings of that character and what would have been a more, what could have been like a fascinating exploration is one where we got to see more of what was going on with Pamela Voorhees, Jason's mother, and the grief that drove her to do what she did. Exactly. Um, And the thing is, that's bringing back Halloween 2018, mm -hmm. you know, that's what made that movie in a way so delightful is not only do we get to explore the depths of PTSD and generational trauma that stem from Jamie Lee Curtis from Laurie Strode, but we also get to see that people are still trying to understand Michael Myers Mm -hmm. and they still can't. We are reveling. We are soaking in the frustration of not being allowed to get a glimpse behind those, you know, black eyes, those evil eyes. See, it's see, that's what I love, 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 and I won't go too much into it because you know that's that's another series. But that's what I adore about the character of Michael Myers, and that's why I despise films like Halloween Six and so on. I don't want to know. I don't want to know. Yeah, I don't want to no, know. I don't want to know that a senior citizen cult or or a long haired kid is killing his family because he can't go trick or treating. Oh no, the, I, 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 I no no no. I, I I'm not saying you did it. Uh, but with 2018, <laughs> like it was, it was so funny that that whole movie. At first, I was so angry at the doctor character. I was just like, "Oh God, they should have taken him out." It's the one thing I don't love about this movie. And then it clicked. It clicked that that doctor represented everyone that wants to know the the meaning of everything. And this movie, that movie, stomps you in the face and says, "No, there's no reason. We're not going to, you know." That's the poetic justice of it all. Is that? For years, people have been trying to get into the head of Michael Myers, be they the characters in the franchise or the fans and scholars and writers and bloggers and whomever that are writing about it for, Mm -hmm. you know, decades now. And in the end, it's simple. You don't get into Michael Myers' head. He gets into yours, literally. One of the things I really love about Halloween 18, and Jerry, I do agree it is a tremendous exploration of trauma, is that... Unlike H2O, where Michael is actively seeking out um, Laurie Strode and is showing real agency. <laughs> he has he doesn't, no desire. <laughs> he doesn't care. He probably doesn't even remember who she is, to be quite that's, honest. Like, see, that's what I her, love. Right. I love that. I love that she has now spent 40 years, more than half her life, reliving this one night over and over. And it's not for a lack of trying to move on, um, but just nothing has worked for her to that point. Um, and to him, well, she wants, she wants no a showdown. Idea. She wants a showdown so much. She has spent 40 years wanting that kind of closure. And the only reason that he comes after at the end is because the doctor drove him there. Well, he, gets like, a, there's no... he gets an, he gets an, he gets an Uber to her house. There's no, <laughs> like, there's, yeah, there's no he was desire whatsoever. Yeah, there's no, there's no desire. So I do love that. I do absolutely 
adore that about okay and i, th- about and I think that's such a powerful that's a powerful message that you know we cling to trauma and pain and relive these events over and over and over and when trauma it, doesn't care exactly it's moved on it it is beyond us and it's up to us to learn to either let go or to accept it or or whatever that we mm-hmm. have to do but yeah i think it's such a fantastic moment in halloween when you realize michael just doesn't give a shit not at all. Uh, going back to Jason X, I have a question for you guys. Yeah. Um, personally, I love the music of Harry Manfredini in the series. Love it. But I also feel like that is one of the things about Jason X that just feels off. I feel like with it being the fu- in the future, they should have had a score that was a little more geared towards that futuristic element. I, I, I feel like the kind of, the, not cliche, because I love the, the Friday 13th score but kind of having that typical manfredini score in it i feel like in some ways it makes the film suffer i i think that the problem with the jason x score at least for me was that it just became and weirdly enough this is actually a complaint that many people have about the friday the 13th franchise it was just it was repetitive it was the same beats over and over. I didn't really... It got to the point where it was so repetitive that I didn't remember it. I actually mm-hmm. forgot it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. I, Whereas every other film, like, I I could... You know, if I hear any part of the Friday 13th Part 3 or 4 soundtracks anywhere, I could instantly tell that that's what movie that's from. Jason X, I forget every single cue in the movie, mm-hmm. and, which is weird because, I mean, Manfredini is so good at, at the previous films. I just think maybe it, it was for the wrong movie. So I do agree, Jonathan, that like the score does get repetitive by and large with some nuances in between, but I would say, because by Part 7, he's not really doing the music anymore, so seven, eight, and nine, I think the films really suffer. Um, I go in particular, I go to the beginning of A New Blood, where over the credits, it's something completely different. It's really just like this repetitive kind of percussion sound. And I think it sets the tone for that movie and not in a good way. Well, Manfredini came back for this movie 100% yes. because of Cunningham. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was Cunningham saying, okay, this is what makes Friday the 13th work. Mm-hmm. Let's bring Manfredi and that kind of stuff. And I, I think any of the issues the film has, I think they kind of stem from Cunningham kind of being like, no, this is what we need to do. Mm-hmm. When this man, I mean, I mean, no offense to him. I mean, you know, he created one of the greatest franchises ever. But this guy really had little to do with the entire series up until Jason Goes to Hell came back. So he really doesn't know at this point what a Friday 13th movie is. I mean, his first movie back producing was Jason as a worm, you know, maybe like he's not the person that should make mm-hmm. those calls. I love Jason worm. <laughs> I, I love your, you, I love your dedication to like slagging <laughs> Jason goes to hell. Every chance. No, like, like, my, this is my your disdain this is, for Jason goes to hell is like your Mandy. Yeah. Except Jason goes to hell is fun. In <laughs> Mandy is just not fun it's just not good all right so so i think now we're at the point where we're discussing other movies aside from jason x so maybe we have kind of put a bow the one thing i do want to say and then we have a couple quick questions um 
One thing I love about New Line Cinema is that they did embrace Jason and the Friday movies. This movie flops at the box office. It costs $15 million. It makes $17 million worldwide. They still put out an awesome DVD for the time. Um, and that's something that New Line Cinema was doing in the early 2000s, late 90s. Like, their home videos were killing it. Oh, man, uh, seven? Mm-hmm. Their DVD for seven was so packed. It was insane. I, I made some notes because this is back when I was doing AV for a living. So mm-hmm. the, the audio, the DVD has DTS on it, which at the time, that would have been an upgrade over just standard Dolby Digital. It wasn't common like it is now. You get Farmer, uh, James Isaac, and Noel Cunningham on commentary. You get a documentary of like the basic life and times of Jason Voorhees. You get a um, making of documentary by uh, called By Any Means Necessary. There are things like uh, you have a feature where you can jump to any death in the movie from your remote control. There's a DVD-ROM feature where you could look at the original script and see how it changed from what was on screen. Like New Line put a lot into the home video. And I think maybe part of the reason this movie maybe found like a second life and it's a little bit better appreciated than when it came out is because new line put some extra care into it. Well, yeah. I mean, how many movies ended up getting sequels because of how well they were received on home video? You know, a lot of movies that flopped ended up becoming cult cult hits on video. And I think Jason X is, is one of them. Look at the movie serenity after the firefly box set sold so well that got that movie made yeah i still want to punch fans for that oh my god podcast <laughs> over we've had a good run <laughs> just kidding. hold up hold up are you saying that serenity <laughs> you're that you're upset that serenity Shit. exists or that Shit. you are upset that there's not another serenity <laughs> damn jerry uh hey guys so jason x is good uh I'm, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan. I tried. I I tried so hard with that series. I tried multiple times. Oh, why? Why <laughs> you guys? You guys do you. You guys do you. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, beautiful. All right. So we we learned <laughs> today. We learned something new. Um. All right. So we have a couple quick questions, and then yes, uh, we'll wrap it. it up. So uh, from over on Twitter, JSolis82 asks, what do we think of Jason's upgraded look? I so love it. It's an interesting question because uh, there was another question that was asked in the very beginning of the movie. When we see Jason, we go behind his mask and we see some rather delightful Kane Hodder curls. Mm. Yeah. So, yeah, he has curly hair. Yeah. So I guess is this referring to uber jason or it is I, you know what vidal sassoon jason i specifically asked i'm like just to make sure we want cyborg jason he said yes so okay, how do yeah. you think of cyborg i jason? love uber jason i i think it i think uber jason is the best jason when it comes to that kind of wide-eyed childish mm-hmm. view of jason you know like i like i've said multiple times if that jason came out when i was 10 it would be my favorite absolutely this is action figure Jason, and I am there yeah. for it. This is, yeah. uh, I'll say this, he looks stupid as hell. He's got those gigantic red eyes that plagued the Predator films from Predator 2 on up until uh, this recent one, which is also terrible, but we'll move, we'll move beyond that. Um, he looks like a Saturday morning cartoon come to life. And as a purist, obviously I hate it, but my purist 
the purest part of me is really low. Uber Jason mm-hmm. is fucking badass. He's yeah. awesome. It's an awesome look. I really love that design. All right, from J.R. Wells 82. If we could recreate any of the other iconic kills in the series in that virtual reality chamber, which one would we do? Uh, Crispin Glover. Uh, not just the uh, the cleaver to the face, but also the uh, crucified nails through the palms thing. Hmm. Uh, I'm torn between... Uh, the guy doing a handstand, getting chopped uh, through the taint, That's or good. the police officer that was split in half. Or b- bent in half, sorry. Yeah. I'm going to go with police officer bent in half. I think that's one of my favorite nasty kills from part six in a movie that doesn't have a lot of nastiness to it. Uh, either that or maybe Horshack getting his heart punched out uh, in part six. Okay. Um, or last... the toilet death in part six. So we'll just keep going with six. And here's what I I want to know, guys. Part nine and part ten, it changes the mythology, mythology of Jason a bit, where he's now a known entity as a killer. Do you think that kind of hurts the mystique of the character at all, that he's no longer this shadowy boogeyman in Legend of Crystal Ake, but there are, like, documentaries on him, he's hunted by the government, like, he's a known commodity. Do you I don't that like hurts? that at all. Okay. I, I I hate the the era of the story where it's like everybody would in America would know where who Jason is. Like I like that mysteriousness of it, and I I prefer horror films that don't give it away. Like I was talking about Halloween. I don't want to know. I don't want to know any of the stuff. I don't want to know that much of a backstory. I don't want the whole world to know who Jason is. For me, though, I think it just naturally makes sense when you've got someone killing as many people as Jason Voorhees it's gonna become a national story like there's no avoiding it so for me when I saw that I was like okay that's just like of course why -hmm. wouldn't this be what happens and I guess I'm closer to Jerry that it's I I think it kind of hurts the character a little bit where he's just hunted down creature by the government at that point but i get your point jonathan i do understand we're like of well, course you if, know if everybody if everybody knew about it then wouldn't we have like a million and five rednecks storming crystal lake i mean you know what i mean like i i like well, that kind of... they're all in haddonfield oh the right yeah it's shooting up shooting up uh, bushes they're either in haddonfield or they're in uh they're in uh spring springfield uh or wherever freddy's dead is springwood being, yeah. yeah springwood being super weird at that no kids carnival <laughs> yep very good all right um jonathan why don't you tell us a little bit of what you have going on over at dread central right now you've got a couple releases through the dread label that look really exciting that are coming out shortly correct Yes, so uh, so this month alone, we've released two films. One just came out today. Uh, oh, well, I should say we're recording this on Tuesday, July 30th. And so uh, earlier this month, we had a found footage horror film called There Inside come out. It is produced by Derek Dennis Herbert. He is the producer uh, of, and this is actually very relevant, To Hell and Back, the Kane Hodder story, mm. which... If you haven't seen that and you're a fan of Friday the 13th and Kane Hodder and what he does, it is so worth 
watching that documentary. I just highly recommend that you have a box of tissues nearby because Kane opens up in ways that few would ever expect and it becomes very emotional at points. Um, so yeah, their inside came out and then we also just today released Assassinat, which is sci-fi horror about a group of kids that crash land on a planet and they have to find and save the president, but uh, clearly there are other dangers on this planet and Is that that's a uh, Drew Boldick, right? Exactly, yes. Ooh. I love his film The Taint. <laughs> yeah, I love that the movie. Taint is, we screened The Taint in Boston years ago and we had so many walkouts and i love that movie <laughs> love it but yeah assassinat uh for those who are sitting here thinking oh it's a bunch of kids i don't care it's not going to go you know dark it goes really really dark it's a very kind of unpleasant movie at certain points mm -hmm. um and then next month, we have, uh, as I was mentioning before we hit record, we have a movie called Hoax, which is a new entry in Bigfoot horror. And mm. that one is directed and co-written by Matt Allen. And the kind of a big thing for a lot of horror fans is that it is scored by Alan Howarth, who did a lot of the soundtracks of John Carpenter films. He worked with him on several titles. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's what's coming uh, kind of immediately. Uh, if any of you are in Florida and will be attending Popcorn Frights, I will be there. And we are actually having the world premiere of mm -hmm. another one of our films called Arctic, which stars Chase Williamson from uh, John Dies at the End. Uh, it's also got Lauren Ashley Carter, who's in two Dread titles. She's in Black Sight, as well as Imitation Girl. And it's also got Matt Mercer. It's a really, really solid title. So, uh, yeah, we have a lot going on there. And aside from that, I'm going to be hopping around from one festival to another. So kind of keep an eye on my Twitter handle. You'll know where I'm at. And if I am somewhere where you are, dear listeners, let me know and let's grab a beer. So it seems like the scope of Dread Central is really, because you took it over in 2017, 2018. Yes. So uh, I, took it, I took it over last year. Okay. And what would you say, like, how was the mission change for Dread? Like, what do you envision for the site and how would you like to grow it in the near future? The vision for the site is simple. I mean, I think that horror news is not necessarily the number one mm -hmm. thing to focus on. I think news can come out. I mean, once people see a headline on Twitter, they think they've got the full story. And a lot of times they do. I mean, when there, when a movie announces a release date, you put that in the headline, there's not really all that much else to read. What mm -hmm. I think is more interesting are the takes that people have about film, about the different yeah. ways that people from different ethnicities, sexual mm -hmm. orientations, uh, from different genders, from different cultures, cultures, how they interact with horror. I've always found that to be incredibly fascinating because it's not taking away from my enjoyment of a film. Rather, it's putting it into context and it's giving and it's informing me about other ways that I can look at something. So I still have my perspective. Now I just have other perspectives, which that's something that I think is far more interesting. And that's something that I would love to grow. Uh, and the main thing is to also hear from voices, not just within the United mm -hmm. States. I think it's important to hear from people who are from other countries because they have perspectives that anyone born here, no matter, you know, where you're, you know, what 
your ethnicity is religion, whatever, um, you're just not going to have that same perspective. Right. And I think one of the things I've really liked on Dread in the past year has been Anya Stanley's column, Gender Bashing, yes. Yes. where it's, it's it says gender bashing, but I don't believe it's an anti-male no, column no. by any it's, way. It's not even, and it's not even anti-gender. Right. That's the whole thing is that gender bashing, it's not bashing genders. It's bashing the negative gender expectations mm-hmm. that hold all of us back. So it's actually uplifting what people can do, what women are able to do, what men are able to do, what anyone is able to do. It's saying you are allowed to do the things that people have said you shouldn't do and that you're not allowed to do. You can do that. There's nothing inherently wrong about a man being emotional or crying. There's nothing inherently wrong about women being strong and, and you know, dedicated and committed. These are perfectly fine and so Anya's column is all about taking films that bash the expectations and offer something new and interesting and that's why I'm so proud to have that column on Dread Central well rightfully so I mean that's one of my favorite things to read so thank you so much for joining us tonight Jonathan it's been an absolute pleasure having you on and I know that you're a very busy dude so giving us your time is is much appreciated. Mike, Terry, uh-huh. it's it's been a pleasure for me. I mean, first of all, we had a great time. We got mm-hmm. to tell a few jokes, have a few laughs, talk yep. talk about horror movies. This is this is what I'm here for. I live for this kind of stuff. So it's I think you know horror to me. There are very few communities that bring. I think a diverse group of people together in such a wonderful way. And I think that the horror community is right at the top of that list. I think of having just some of the best people speaking of best people, Jerry, what do we have coming up next week? Who's who we, who's on with us. All right. Next week we have Freddie versus Jason. Uh, I believe Ryan Larson is coming back for that one. Nice. Our, I, two, I, our very first I guest. I believe so. I, I, I love, dropped my phone and it cracked so i had to get a new phone so i lost a lot of my Mm -hmm. scheduling stuff so ryan larson i believe is next episode or he might be the remake i'll have to double check but Mm -hmm. we do have a cool show uh really quickly uh for our listeners uh the trailer for a documentary that i'm on called direct to video just dropped today so check it out i am so excited to be a part of that That so excited to be a part of that so i was Uh, gonna say like submit that to tell your ride horror please Oh, dude, yes. I, I, will, I will tell the director today. Uh, it was so much fun being uh, just shooting my little segment for that. That, uh, I recently got a chance to shoot Slipknot, which is like one of my favorite bands. That will be coming up in a, in a magazine pretty soon. I'll be able to announce that when I can. But uh, yeah, there's a lot of cool stuff coming up. Beautiful shots there, too. Now, this is not the end of the show. Um, immediately after the closing music, which you hear right now, because I'm going to edit it in. But immediately after hearing the closing music, we have another special guest lined up. Yes. Uh, Well, originally my son Dexter was going to be on this episode, but uh, I didn't time it right because it's not my week with him. So uh, I'm going to record uh, his little segment when I have him, and we're going to put it into the show. So my son Dexter, Elliot Smith, he's a huge huge Jason fan, and especially of Jason X. Mm -hmm. So 
it'll it'll be a lot of fun. He has a lot to say. That is going to be a lot of fun. So definitely do not tune out the show right now. We have a little bit of a bonus coming for you. Uh, it's right a post-credit sequence. Yes, yes, we are the. It's like the Marvel stinger that's going on right now. So to all our listeners, thank you so much. Like this week has already been one of our biggest weeks. We. Uh, I mean, we doubled. This is now the last day of July. We've doubled our listenership in each of the three months, and I think that is a testament to the people that have been listening, and also like really help say nice things about us that we have not paid them to do. I, I, I'm, I'm going to interject and mm-hmm. say I think it's a testament to the quality of podcast that the two of you are Thank providing you. because Why you can you, have sir? you can have the best of guests but everything else is falling apart then it doesn't really matter so if you're doubling in listenership it's because you two are the constant you are the you are what keeps this going so you should pat yourselves on the back and give yourselves a round of applause because you are the reason that this is doing as well as it is we appreciate that and we appreciate our listeners follow us over at pod and pendulum drop us an email at pod and the pendulum at gmail.com and we will be back and please leave us a review over in itunes we just saw another one this sunday over on stitcher we just got our first couple reviews you guys have been super kind so far and remember that if you do leave us a one-star review that jerry and i we will hunt you down and we'll do terrible <laughs> terrible ungodly things to you. liquid nitrogen Yes, uh, yes. Is that a promise? Promise. Absolutely Ooh, promise. I know what I'm doing this You week. are not giving me a one-star review. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thank you so much. Have a great week. We'll Have be back on, next week. Thank you. Bye. Yeah. All right. Bye. All right, Lacey, let's go for a walk. Let's All right, everyone, welcome to the bonus section of the Jason X episode of The Pod and the Pendulum. I am Jerry Smith, the co-host, and for this special bonus episode, I am joined by somebody I'm a huge fan of, my son, Dexter Scott Elliott Smith. Dexter, how are you doing today? I'm doing really good. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. I'm excited about this episode because Dexter's a huge fan of the Friday 13th series in general, uh, just like I am, and he's a big fan of Jason X. We've been talking about doing this episode, or or just talking about Jason X for a while, and when the idea came up that we were looking for guests for the episodes, I wanted to fit Dexter in somewhere on the show, so what better place than Jason X? And uh, thank you everyone for listening to the episode so far. I hope this little bonus, little tagged on. Uh, ending is cool. Uh, so before we get into Jason X, uh, Dexter, what? what are you known for? Do you have any special creative things that you've created? Yeah, I have a lot. You have a lot. Okay. Can you tell me about them? What is what is one of them? Well, I've made up some heroes, villains. Yeah, you made cool up stuff. hero, villains, cool stuff. Uh, I'm really interested in quickly talking about a whole franchise of movies that that Dexter has created in his head, and man, it's some good stuff. And we even talked about it, I think, on the Jason X episode, I think, uh, called Deserts of Evil. Dexter, why don't you tell us about Deserts of Evil? What is it? So, um, Desert, 
So desserts come alive and these bad guys are there and the dessert and the desserts have to try to save the day. Okay. The desserts save the day. Okay, now what desserts are there? Is it like a pie? Is it an yeah. eclair? What is it? Um, you can look at the classic ones like pie, cookies, gingerbreads, <laughs> This is great. This is awesome. Now I have to ask: Desserts of Evil is it inspired or influenced? Anyway, were you inspired to do it by Charles Band, Full Moon, Puppet Master, any of that stuff? I know that you love Full Moon. Uh, Puppet Master kind of inspired me. Puppet Master inspired you. Cool, cool. What was it about the Puppet Master franchise that inspired you for uh, Desserts of Evil? Um, kind of like how the puppets come to life. I want to do, like, instead of puppets, like, desserts come to life. Oh, that's perfect. Uh, so, yeah, if you guys are out there, producers, you want to make Desserts of Evil, call us up. Dex will do it for cheap. Uh, like also, there's another one, quickly, that I really have to talk about. And it's basically Macbeth with lizards. Tell us about Prince Reptile, Dexter. Oh, uh, Origin? Oh, yeah, the Origin, quickly. Go ahead. Okay, so, um... An uncle, um... Like, the uncle did a, did a spell on a, on a family and a baby, causing them to turn into reptile... reptile shape-shifting people. That is so good. So the uncle... Doesn't the uncle... If, if I remember correctly, doesn't the uncle get rid of the dad because he wants to take over the kingdom, right? Yeah. So, guys, yeah, it's basically Macbeth with lizards. How is that not cool? Okay, so anyways, what we're here talking about, Jason X. Now, let's talk about Jason X for a second. At this point in the franchise, what has happened was Jason goes to hell, comes out, and it gives us that great ending of Freddy's hand reaching up and grabbing Jason's mask, which led every fan, myself included, to think that we were getting Freddy versus Jason next. What we got after that was over a decade, uh, yeah, I think a decade at least, of people trying to get Freddy versus Jason going, but no one could do it. Sean Cunningham and New Line had the rights. They wanted Freddy versus Jason. They wanted, they wanted it to happen. Uh, went through all these drafts. Uh, if you listen to the Freddy vs. Jason huge two-part, four-hour episode that we recorded uh, next week, you will know about all of these drafts and different weird stories. Everything from a cult of people who call themselves Fredheads that would burn themselves and try to resurrect Freddy, led by a cult leader named Dominic Necros. The idea, right? It's weird, right? What the heck? Exactly. The ideas were out there. But they spent... Six million dollars trying to get Freddy vs. Jason developed. Just the script section. Six million dollars on scripts and everything else. That's expensive. It is. And they couldn't do it. So Sean Cunningham, the creator of Friday the 13th, back as a producer, decided, you know what? It's taken forever to get Freddy vs. Jason going. Let's just do another Jason movie to, to, to hold us over. So the idea of Jason X comes out. Jason in space. Dexter, what do you think about the idea of Jason in space? Well, so different than anything before. Yeah, it's kind of weird. It's kind of weird? Do you like it? Do you think it's yeah. cool? Or do you prefer like the old school, at camp, kind of Crystal Lake kind of vibe? I like both ideas. They're both really good. Okay, but which one do you prefer? Um, I prefer like the camp idea. Camp idea? Now, I remember back in the day when I was telling you about the Friday 13 movies, because you've always been a huge fan of Jason Lynch. I remember telling you about the idea of Jason, how he goes to space, and you just loved the idea. What is it about Jason going to outer space that really excites you? 
Um, mostly, like, he's going to have, like, different people to kill. Like, way different people to kill. Because they're in outer space? Yeah. What makes him different? Well, well, he also gets his body parts blown off. He also gets a metal suit. The metal suit. Oh, Uber Jason, right? Yeah. The design of Jason is awesome. Uh, once that whole beginning happens, you know, where they stop Jason... You know, he gets frozen along with Rowan uh, and all that stuff, and he comes out. Comes out. All these things happen. Jason gets resurrected. He gets. He comes back. He gets his new armor with the Uber Jason design, which Jason X isn't the best movie in the series. It is. It's full of fun, but one of the things that it does have, other than this really fun sense of humor and just adventurous kind of vibe to it, is the design of Jason. I think Uber Jason is one of the coolest looking Jasons in the entire series. What do you think, J uh, Dexter? Where does Uber Jason rank on your, your rankings of the different Jasons? Well, he's probably in the sick part. In the sick part? Yeah, he looks really sick. Oh, sick, like cool. I thought you meant like he's sick, like he has a cold. Okay, <laughs> so Jason is sick, everyone. Uh, man, I am so unhip. Uh, so, top five Jasons. Um, I would pick six, seven. So CJ Graham, okay. Jason lives as your first, your number one. Yeah. Okay. So six, seven, ten. So J Uber Jason would be uh, your third, your th third choice. Yeah. Awesome. So CJ Graham in six, uh, Kane Hodder in seven, and Uber Jason, Kane Hodder in Jason X. Uh, what about the other two? What rounds them up? All three of them are really cool. But if you had to do five, what would give me two other ones? Okay. You like Sackhead? Yeah, I like that. Okay. And Retro Jason. Retro Jason. Uh -huh. uh, Nintendo one? Yeah. Okay, cool. I also know you're a huge Derek Mears fan. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, would Remake Jason be in there anywhere? Yeah. That's cool. Okay, so let's talk about the kills in this movie. It has some of the kills, some of the best kills in the, in the series. I think... One of my favorite Friday 13 kills is in Jason X, and it's the one where, uh, I mean, we've talked about some of this already. It's the one where Jason takes Adrian, freezes her face with liquid nitrogen, and smacks it across the counter. That is my favorite death in the movie. What is yours? Um, it's the same one as you. Same one. What is it about that that just makes you laugh? It's funny, right? It's <laughs> cool. The effects are awesome. And uh, what do you think? It's really cool, but do you know what one thing I would add to that part? What is that? When Jason slams her head, I would like to see blood gush out of it. Well, it's frozen. If it's if it's frozen, it won't gush. That's why, like, if you see the impact of the trauma that the head gets, it's, like, and it's kind of, like, crystallized, and the blood's kind of dry. Yeah, what is this? It shows the blood, but it ends up freezing. Ooh, that is a good idea. Okay, what do you think about... Okay... Let's get the depressing part out of the way. One second. Let's get the depressing part of the way. Jason X, unfortunately, is Kane Hodder's last time playing Jason. Do you think this is a good way to go out, or do you think he deserved one more movie at least? Do you think Kane Hodder should have been in Freddy vs. Jason? Yeah. Okay. How bummed are you that Kane Hodder wasn't in Freddy vs. Jason? I know you're a huge fan of Kane. Um, I'm really fun. What is it about K 
Kane Hodder is Jason that you just really love. Because he adds, like, such a different thing. I mean, Ted White was kind of, like, mad and he ran, you know. Uh, yeah. Steve Dash was kind of, like, scared. And Jason is part two. CJ Graham kind of had this robotic kind of Terminator kind of vibe to him. Kane Hodder is just mean. He's, his Jason's mean. You can see him breathing. Kane Hodder's Jason is the kind of person that, like Part 7 shows, will pick someone in a sleepy bag up and hit him against a tree. Kane Hodder is the meanest Jason possible and in a good way. What is it about Jason when it's played by, when he's played by Kane Hodder that you really love? Uh, mostly, like, when he breathes, is really cool. And, like, um... Because he, he has that really unique breathing part to him, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. What else? Um... You know what's um one um probably worst um Kane Hodder Jason unmasked thing? What's that? Um, do you know what's the worst um Jason unmasked? What's that one? Probably part eight. Part eight. Oh, that's funny because yeah, our episode on Jason Takes Manhattan uh wasn't very positive, but uh, yeah, I think we all agree that Jason when he's unmasked in Jason Takes Manhattan. It's Pretty bad. Uh, what is it about that that you just do not like? Most of it. All of it. The whole movie or just the just everything? Uh, mostly when it shows Jason's face. Why? It's just so weird. Yeah, right? Okay, what do you think about the Jason Goes to Hell design? Kind of like the big head, the mask is kind of growing into it. It's kind of bulky. He has this kind of like mechanic look to him. Like he's wearing like... He's wearing, like, a suit that looks like Michael Myers wearing one that's a little too tight. What do you think? It's like baggy Jason. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you know what's one thing that I don't like about that movie? Which one? Um, nine. Nine? Okay. Yeah. What? Why did um, the doctor eat Jason's heart? Because he was, uh, I guess, just hungry. And, I don't know, Peter Perfect wasn't by. There was no McDonald's nearby, so he went to the heart. Uh, no, Jason... Jason goes to hell as a mess, and uh, there's a lot of things wrong with that. Sorry, guys. Uh, you know, but I, I don't mind the guy eating the heart. I mind Jason being a worm in that movie. But thankfully, he's not a worm in Jason X. What's really cool about Jason X is it takes place so many years in the future, like hundreds and hundreds of years. So it gives it a kind of uh, freedom to kind of tell a standalone story that doesn't really connect with the old ones. It's kind of like its own thing. Uh what about Jason X would you change? Is there anything that you just don't like about it? Um, I'll say a little. You know what's the weirdest thing? Hmm. How the government has Jason. It's just weird. Yeah, because we talked about that on the show. When Jason's kind of... You want Jason to be mysterious. You don't want him to like be out in the open and just like, oh, the whole world knows about him. Because it, again, it, it takes that like mysteriousness of, out of it. And by having the kind of this military government sanction on Jason, it kind of takes, like I said, that, that, that mysteriousness out of it. There's no mystery whatsoever. It's like, do we really need the government and the military to be in charge of Jason trying to do experiments? Uh, yeah, that, that's one of the things I'm not really into, but uh, I, I appreciate this movie very much. I, I like it. Uh, the way that Mike and Vanderbilt and Snoonian love Jason Goes to Hell, that's how I feel about Jason X. Uh, it's not the best movie. It's actually not that great of a Friday the 13th sequel, but it's a good movie on its own. I feel like if Jason X came out and it wasn't called Jason X, it was called something else, and there was no Jason movies before it, and it was just a standalone movie, 
I think people would like it a lot more. They hold it up to this weird standard of basically comparing it to like the final chapter or, or Jason Lives or movies that everyone loves when it's just not that kind of movie. Uh, okay, Dexter, so anything else that you would like to discuss when it comes to Jason X? Um, you know, it's a one part that I also kind of like. What's that? You know how, like, in the end, like, you see, like, Uber Jason's mask, like, in the river? Mm-hmm. It is cool. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's cool. I'll tell you really quickly before we end this. Uh, in one of the scripts that people wrote for Freddy vs. Jason that they didn't use, it took place, the end was at a shopping mall. And Jason went to a sports store and found and saw this chrome hockey mask, and he takes it and puts it on. And they kind of kept that idea for Jason X, the chrome look for it. Uh, what do you think about the red eyes in Uber Jason? Do you like that? Or is it yeah. Like you like the red eyes? Uh -huh. What is it about those that you like? It just looks so cool. That's awesome. All right, guys. Well, thank you for listening to this bonus episode. Dexter, what do you have going on? What is some things that you're working on right now? Um, we like to ask our guests that before we close out. I'm going to work on more stuff. Okay, like what? More Stories? Heroes, more villains, yeah. More heroes and more villains. Cool. More Can you tell me villains. more? Okay, cool. Can you tell me one hero and one villain that you're working on right now? Um, I'm not really working on them right now. I'm trying to think of them. Okay, cool. What is one hero uh, and one villain that you've created that you, you're pretty fond of? Isn't there Pancake Boy? I'm a big fan of Pancake Boy, guys. Any of them? I'm kind of embarrassed about making them. Oh, it's alright, dude. Keep it on. Keep going. Keep going. We all need Pancake Boy, right, guys? Uh, you know what? When this episode comes out, if you guys listen to it and you enjoy it, Dexter says he's embarrassed about creating Pancake Boy. Let's show him that Pancake Boy is the hero that we all need. He is the hero that will get down in the syrup and the butter take care of crime. So if any of you listeners want Pancake Boy, sound off. Reply to this. Retweet this. Tell the world that you need Pancake Boy because, guys, Pot in the Pendulum listeners, hear you me. Pancake Boy needs to happen. Alright, Dexter, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. I'd love to have you back on for one of the bonus Halloween episodes. Would that be cool? Yeah. Which Halloween do you like? Can't be the first one. The first one. We'll, we'll see about that. I don't see why not. All right, guys. We'll have a great week and get ready for next week when we will have Freddy vs. Jason, a two-part, four-hour episode. It's so long and so extensive that we had to trim it into two parts. And there's so much, so, so much to listen to with the Freddy vs. Jason episode. So, you guys, thank you so much for listening. Like Mike always says... It would mean a lot if you guys could leave us reviews, five stars if possible. If not, I understand. If you like the show, tell us you like it. We love talking to you guys. Uh, there isn't a single comment that goes on the Pod in the Pendulum Twitter that either Mike or, or myself that we don't reply to. We love talking to everyone, and we appreciate you guys listening to the show. We appreciate it so much. We would not do this if we didn't feel like anyone liked it. So thank you for the overwhelmingly positive response. Thank you guys so much. Have a good one. Yeah.